Well, we've been looking at the various stages in the story of humanity as laid out in the biblical narrative. So the story of humanity that is reflected in our own lives, in our own experience, in our own interior journeys, but the story of humanity begins in paradise. Then we experience the fall, and then we're sent on the orphan journey, the wanderer journey, the warrior journey. Last week we talked about the altruist journey. And today we're moving into the return to innocence. As we look in the biblical narrative, the return to innocence moves us from the Old Testament, from the prophets, where we were last Sunday, into the New Testament, and primarily into Jesus' invitation to each and every one of us to experience rebirth. That's the return to innocence. Jesus repeatedly invites us to become like little children. To be born again. Another way of saying that would be to put on the beginner's mind. Now, I'm convinced that many Christians misunderstand the essence of what it means to be born again. It's not something that magically happens when we say a prayer. It's not something that occurs when we adopt a particular belief system when we believe certain things to be true about Jesus. The rebirth journey is exactly that. It's a transformative interior journey that we must take. Now, there are moments when people experience this instantaneously, I think. But for the vast majority of us, this is a journey that we take. Or that we refuse to take and just operate under the assumption that we are born again, that we have been born anew, that we have been born of the Spirit. Let's look at two passages of Scripture to kind of highlight some of the nuances, some of the dynamics and aspects of what this rebirth journey is all about, at least according to Jesus. I should preface that. According to Jesus, through the interpretation of Troy Watson, who is presenting it to you this morning. The first passage is Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and then he covered it up, and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when the merchant found one very precious Pearl, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. So what is Jesus talking about here? Well, Jesus is talking about what Jesus is always talking about, the kingdom of God. That's the central message of Jesus, and the vast majority of Jesus' teachings are rooted in his concept of the kingdom of God. And when we separate things from the kingdom of God, we tend to not fully appreciate what Jesus is actually talking about. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. What does the kingdom of God have to do with this rebirth experience that we're, this return to innocence that we're exploring this morning? The rebirth experience is how we see and enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus, Jesus teaches this and, and speaks about this on numerous occasions. Um, when he's talking to Nicodemus, that's a John chapter 3, that's a fairly famous passage about the kingdom of God, where he's talking to one of the, the experts in biblical studies, 
and this expert in the biblical studies doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and, and, he, and he's telling Nicodemus, you're never going to understand my message because my message is about the kingdom of God, and you're never going to be able to see what I'm talking about, the, the truth of this kingdom of God, until you return to innocence, until you become like a little child, until you are born anew. Later on, Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you return to innocence, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? Books, volumes have been written on this topic, and it's, it's very difficult for me to compress that into a message, let alone a one-minute preface to the message. But the short version, at least my understanding of the short version, is this. The kingdom of God is where the presence of God is made manifest in your reality and where you respond to the presence of God accordingly, appropriately. So let's even compress that definition a little bit further to to continue. The kingdom of God is a manifest presence of God. Let's Let's just go with that very short definition. The manifest presence of God. So let's insert that into the text. So the manifest presence of God is like treasure hidden in a field. The presence of God isn't something that everybody sees. Now, that's not news. There's a lot of people who are atheists, right? And, and even there's many times that we don't sense the presence of God. And if we're honest, that's probably a lot of the time. So the, the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, is, is, it's like hidden treasure. And Jesus, that's why Jesus is constantly saying, you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Well, how do we develop these spiritual senses that are capable of seeing the manifest presence of God? Well, we need to take this rebirth journey, this return to innocence journey. Unless you become like little children, unless you are born anew, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't see the manifest presence of God. So the the manifest presence of God is hidden. It's a hidden reality. What else does Jesus say about this? Well, in order to enter the kingdom of God, to enter into God's presence, and for God's presence to enter into us, we must let go of everything else. What do the both men in those stories do? As soon as they find the treasure, as soon as they find that amazing pearl, they go and sell everything they own in order to receive, in order to have the treasure. So there's a difference between discovering the treasure, discovering God's presence, and receiving the treasure, receiving God's presence. Now my my hunch is that most of us have had some kind of God encounter in our lives. You probably wouldn't be here. There's better things to do on a Sunday morning. For some of you, you're, you're here because it's what you've always done. It's part of your rhythm and routine. But for most of us, I'm sure we've had some kind of God encounter. So we have, we've gone through this field and we have discovered the treasure that is God's presence. And what often happens is intellectually we understand that, oh, that was amazing. God's presence is more valuable and worth more than anything else in the world. But we don't act as if that is true. When we, when we look at our finances, the way we spend our money, what we do with our time and energy, how we live our lives, it doesn't reflect that truth. I'm not just pointing at you. That, that's, that's my condition as well. 
these men in the story, they encounter God's presence. They find the treasure and they have the same intellectual conclusion that we come to after a God encounter. The presence of God is more valuable than anything else in my life. In fact, not only that, but it's more valuable than everything else in my life combined. Because they're willing to get rid of everything in order to have this. But they don't stop there. They act as if this is true. They act on this truth and they sell everything they have in order to receive the presence of God. Not just to encounter the presence of God. It's an important distinction. You see, what happens, what Jesus is saying in a in a genuine divine encounter. Because remember that the kingdom of God isn't just experiencing the presence of God, it's responding to the presence of God accordingly. And if you truly see and sense God's presence in the world, then to acknowledge that means to acknowledge that it is more valuable than everything else in my life combined. But that understanding isn't realized until you act on it. That's what it means to respond to the presence of God accordingly. I think, I think one of the ways that we have kind of lost that part of it, that part of the message, is the evangelical emphasis on the free gift of salvation. The new life, the baptism of the Spirit. Uh, salvation, it's, it's a free gift of God, and we've, we've overemphasized that truth. Here's the thing, it is true. The new life, the rebirth, it is a free gift. I've said it once, and I'll say it a thousand times, Maybe more, but spiritual truth is in paradox. At least this is my experience. It's always paradox. So one side of the truth is, yes, it's a free gift. The other side of this paradoxical truth is that it will cost you everything. And both are true. And if we just overemphasize this, well, that's when we get into what Bonhoeffer would call cheap grace. Cheap grace. And I don't know how we miss this because Jesus consistently says you need to pick up your cross. <laughs> when Jesus calls his followers, he says, you, you have to leave everything and come follow me. It's, it's not like Jesus is subtle with this message. But both are true. We don't want to just, if we start gravitating towards, oh, it's going to cost me everything, and we lose the fact that it's also a free gift. It's in this paradoxical tension that we, we begin to grasp God's truth. More than understand it, we grasp it, and it grasps us. When we find this treasure, and more than find it, we receive the treasure, what happens to us is we are filled with an unshakable joy and fulfillment in life. And there's a few people, and I don't count myself among them, but there are a few people that I've met who have that. And when I look, and they often don't talk a whole lot, But you look in their lives and you look in their eyes and you just see they've they've received a treasure that I'm not sure that I've received yet. They have this unshakable joy and fulfillment in life. And what happens, because they've they've had the full rebirth experience, is what I believe. They've taken the journey, they've returned to innocence, they've been truly born again, what Jesus meant by that statement. And what happens when we take that journey, we actually re-enter paradise. Remember our journey started with paradise? We re-enter paradise. I'll say more about that later, but let's move on to the second passage of Scripture. The second biblical story is the, the prodigal son story. 
in Luke chapter 15. And if you're not familiar with that story, I'd encourage you to go read it. What happens with the prodigal son is that he is looking for paradise. He's looking for paradise. That's the premise of the story. And he finds it. He finds paradise. But much to his surprise, it's back home with his father. When he sets out, he leaves his father. He says, Dad, I just wish you were dead. I just want your money. I want nothing to do with you. This is awful living here. I'm out. I'm gone. And he thinks he's going to find paradise in a far-off country, far away, where the grass is greener, right? Somewhere far away from here. But his journey really is, well, the hero's journey. Most of the, the, the plots of most of the stories and books and films that we love are the basic hero journey, there and back again. <laughs> the hero goes out, the hero is transformed, the hero comes back home. And that is our return to innocence as well. We leave. We are transformed. We come home to find that home was paradise. And it was all along. Home hasn't changed. We have changed. The transformation that actually is the climax of the return to innocence journey is that he is now able to receive unconditional love. And because he's able to receive unconditional love, he's able to truly love others. Remember, the whole point of this, this journey, these journeys and, and moving towards wholeness and the integrated life is that we can discover our true self, live out of our true self, which is love. We are created in the image of God. We are reflections of divine love. So this transformation is he is finally able to receive unconditional love. You see, before, when he was with his father, there were always things that he assumed were reasons his dad loved him. Well, I'm his son, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy, I work for him, I have a good work. There's all these reasons for my father to love me. Well, he kind of burns all those bridges. And he's, he, he, I mean, he couldn't be more disrespectful to his father, especially in the time and culture 2,000 years ago in, in Israel. And he burns all those bridges. There is no, there is no reason for his father to, to love him. I mean, he, he could... He couldn't have hurt his father more, more deeply and profoundly. And he goes and squanders all his money, and he lives, um, he lives a, a very selfish life. And then he comes to this realization, and he hits rock bottom. That's important. And when he hits rock bottom, I mean, that's the experience of the fall. We are all fallen, but we really don't experience this profound transformation in our lives till we experience the fall. I mean, that's what hitting rock bottom is. We're all fallen, but in rock bottom, you realize, oh, wow, I am really fallen. You become aware of your fallenness. You realize, boy, I don't think I could go any lower. And it's in that moment of transformation, there's no reason for my father to love me. There's nothing I can present. Hey, dad, look what I did. (laughs) Look what I accomplished. Everything's gone. He has nothing to present to his father to try and earn his love. In fact, he comes to his senses and he knows, I can't go out and just ask, Dad, forgive me and love me. But he says, you know, my dad is a good man. And maybe if I beg him, he will take pity on me, at least give me a job, because he's starving to death in this foreign country. So he goes home and, and, and instead of 
meeting what he thinks he's going to meet. His father runs out to him, embraces him, showers him with unconditional love. It's overwhelming. And in that moment is the, the transformation that brings him to this rebirth experience. For the first time in his life, he's actually experienced unconditional love. Now, it's not that the father's love was conditional before, but the son wasn't able to receive unconditional love because he was still playing the game that we all play, trying to earn other people's loves, trying to earn God's love. I think that's true for many of us, if not most of us. Intellectually, we understand that God loves us unconditionally. But most of us live our lives still trying to impress God, still playing the guilt game and the shame game and trying to, oh man, I really messed up last week. I got to do some penance. I got to do something so that God will be cool with me. This could even be subconscious. It's, it's, very, it's very difficult for us to live in this space that no matter what we do, God's unconditional love is never broken, never changes. I mean, it's the saint who lives in that space. It's the one who has returned to innocence. Little children don't question whether their parents love them in, in normal, relatively healthy, functional families. Return to innocence, where we're actually able to receive, not just intellectually understand the unconditional love of God, actually feel it and experience it. It changes everything. It changes everything. But you've got to hit rock bottom you got to experience the full extent of your fall in order to take that rebirth journey. I mean, look at the older brother. The older brother never left. He's still trying to earn dad's love. Dad, I never left. I've been loyal. I've worked hard. I've done all these things. He's still trying to earn his father's love. He's, he's, in order for that older brother... To experience the unconditional love of his father, he needs to take that journey. He's not living in paradise at home. The younger son is because the younger son took the journey. He now sees that home with father is paradise. When the younger brother comes home, the older brother isn't living in paradise. He's living in hell, right? Same environment, same place. You want to re-enter paradise? You've got to take that journey. When we go back to the story in Matthew 13, it's not just re-entering paradise that requires us to take the journey. To find the treasure means we need to take the journey. The man who finds the treasure in a field, he doesn't find the treasure at home. He doesn't find the treasure on his property. He's traveling through someone else's land. He's on a journey. The journey comes before the treasure. The journey comes before the transformation. So the fall is necessary. It's not pleasant, but the fall is necessary. Because if, in order to re-enter paradise, in order to discover the treasure, we need to take the journey. Well, we would never take the journey if it wasn't for the fall. The fall is what happens first, and then we begin the orphan journey. And the, I believe these are successive journeys. I believe you cannot experience the rebirth journey until you have done some of the other psychological and spiritual work. You can have God encounters, but I'm not sure you can receive the treasure. So the fall begins the journey. And then after we've gone through these successive journeys, the orphan, the wanderer, the warrior, the altruist, and then we have our moment of being invited into the rebirth journey. 
what happens, one of the things that happens is the fall is undone, or we transcend the fall. Remember, what happens at the fall, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the fall, we gain the ability to name our experiences, name situations and things as good or bad. We partake of the fruit of good and evil. So what happens in our fallen state is, um, okay, this, this is really difficult, really overwhelming, so this is bad. Or this is, oh, this is really easy, so this is good. Oh, this is really painful, there's so much suffering in this, so that, this is a bad experience. Oh, this is, there's a lot of pleasure, this is a pleasurable experience, so this is good. Oh, this is really unfair, so it's bad. Oh, this is really fair, this makes sense, so it's good. So we name all these things as good and bad. In order to re-enter paradise, we regain our original ability and power to name the goodness in all things, in all situations, in all experiences. Remember, to live in paradise is to live where God looks at everything and says, huh, it's really good. That's what it means to live in paradise, to be able to look with God's perspective and see everything is good. Now, we don't see the good in something because it's painful or because it's pleasurable. We don't see, oh, this is really good because it's unfair or because it's fair. We see the goodness in situations, in experiences, because it draws us closer to God. Everything draws us closer to God. At least in paradise it does. With the divine perspective, it does. I, I love this quote. I came across it a long time ago, but it really, it really impacted me, and maybe it'll impact one or two of you, or maybe many of you have heard of it, but it's by the Sufi mystic Rumi. He says, If God said to me, Rumi, pay homage to everything that has helped you enter my arms, there would not be one experience of my life, not one thought, not one feeling, nor any act that I would not bow to. The saint understands. It's all, it's all brought me closer to God. So how can I name it as bad? That concept of life can't become our reality till we truly treasure God's presence more than we value everything else in life. It's not until you find the treasure and then live as if the treasure really is the ultimate treasure in life. That's when this starts to make sense. This doesn't mean we deny the hardship the suffering and injustice of life. The wise saint doesn't deny the setbacks and, and pain of certain experiences. So if someone really betrays me, and it really hurts, I don't just, oh, that, that, that's fine. That doesn't matter. Oh, that doesn't bother me at all. Oh, that's just the way life is. That, that's not healthy. And if that's how we live our lives, that, <laughs> that leads to all sorts of issues. The wise saint is able to Receive what, what happens. Receive the pain. Receive the suffering, acknowledging it. This is reality. This is, this is my reality. I'm hurting. What they did hurt me, and I need to respond to that accordingly. I need to grieve. But the wise saint is able to hold multiple realities at the same time, or multiple aspects of reality at the same time. See, what happens to most of us if something really overwhelming or incredibly painful happens to us, it, it becomes all we see. It becomes our whole world. It becomes our reality. It's all we think about and feel. It takes over the complete horizon of our perspective. When I lose my cool, what, what 
typically happens is, is all I can see is this thing that's making me angry. It's taken over. It's dominated my entire perspective, my consciousness. And this is what happens to most of it. It's, it's not just becoming angry. Whenever, whenever something really painful or something's really, truly unfair, it, it's just all we see. And the wise saint is able to acknowledge this as reality. Yes, this is unfair. This is painful. This, but they ask a key question in those moments. Well, what else is happening right now? What else is happening right now? And they're able to answer that question. Well, yes, I'm hurting and this person has betrayed me. That is my reality. But my reality is also good health and positive energy are flowing into my life right now. That's reality. The presence of God is all around me and, and within me. The divine peace and love and joy and gratitude are, are, are bubbling up from the depths of my being. That's also true. That's happening right now. Maybe we're facing some insurmountable problem. Well, creative problem-solving intelligence is flowing into my conscious mind from my unconscious and subconscious minds right now. That's also happening. My family, my friends are, are in my corner and love me and support me. That's also happening right now. They're able to hold multiple realities. So the wise saint is able to both grieve and feel sorrow and joy and gratitude at the same time because they're living in both of these realities. It's quite remarkable. Carol Pearson, who I've, I've actually based a lot of this material on, um, she makes a distinction between psychological denial and spiritual denial. She says psychological denial is pretending things are not the way they are. And that's not healthy. So someone really hurts me, and I'm just like, oh, that doesn't matter. No, that's, that's fine. I, that doesn't really bother me. That leads to all sorts of issues. That's not healthy. Don't do that. Acknowledge it. That really hurt. Spiritual denial is this. I deny external reality the power over me, the power to define me, the power to govern how I feel and how I experience this moment in time. See the difference? It's powerful once we start to employ that. So it doesn't deny my feelings of the moment, but it, does, it denies external reality, those things that happen out there to govern how I feel, how I experience this moment in time. You get to choose how you experience whatever you are experiencing. Okay, I'm going to close with this potential pitfalls and dangers. There's potential pitfalls and dangers to all of these journeys, all of these energies, including the rebirth innocent energy. The first one is this, I've just sort of talked about it. We can ignore pain, injustice, and suffering, both in our own lives and in the lives of other people. Oh, it's fine, it doesn't matter. No, it, it does matter, especially when people are on different journeys. It's, it, it's not helpful to just say, oh, don't worry about it, fine. The second potential pitfall and danger is, is we can assume that we do not need to grieve our suffering and loss. We still hurt, even though we've had this rebirth experience. We still need to grieve. There's, there's some things that we can only navigate through in a healthy, functional way through grieving and mourning. The power of grief is, is uh, incredibly powerful, and we, we need to use it. Third potential pitfall and danger is we can be overly naive. Everything will be fine. Everything will work out. Everything always works out. Everything's fine. We take all of these journeys for a reason. All of these journeys give us gifts that we need in life. Sometimes we need to use our warrior energy. 
Sometimes we need our altruist energy. Sometimes we need our wanderer energy. It's, we need all of these gifts. We need all of these energies. And sometimes our, our inner innocent, our inner saint, can just, oh, everything's, everything's cool. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's okay. We still have work to do in the world. And we're going to talk about that more next week. Fourth potential pitfall and danger is we can become dogmatic. We've found the treasure. We found the treasure. Oh, all you need, you just need to find the treasure. That's what you need. Here, here. We can't give other people the treasure. Don't try and give other people the treasure. They have to find the treasure by taking their journey. And many innocents, many saints can, can get into this. I mean, another potential pitfall and danger is arrogance. We found the treasure. All you need is, all you need is to find what I've found. That's never helpful. It sounds arrogant because it is arrogant. What, what we need to do is, is, is help people on their journey. God knows what they need in that moment where they are in their own journey. You don't, no matter how innocent and reborn you are. The essence of the journey is this. The gift we receive on the, the saint journey, the return to innocence, is faith. And faith is essentially trusting God. Trusting God's unconditional love, trusting God's presence, trusting God's power more than anything else in the universe. So that's the gift. The story of the saint journey is is essentially this. How I found this unshakable joy and fulfillment in life. How I found the promised land. How I re-entered paradise. Saints are comfortable in their own skin. No matter who they're with, no matter where they are. Because they live with this awareness that God is comfortable in my skin. Why wouldn't I be? <laughs> the saint, the innocent, is comfortable wherever they are, no matter who they are with. Which when we see Jesus, it's amazing. It doesn't matter who he's with. He's comfortable, and people are comfortable with him. 